Well, praise the Lord. Good to have children in the building. Take your Bibles, 1 John chapter number 3. 1 John chapter number 3. Speaking of children, here they come. Let these folks get settled in. 1 John chapter number 3. That's near the back of your Bible. Good morning, Miss Liz. Good to see you today. Miss Emma, how we doing? First John chapter number three. Find that place if you will. And we will read this morning, then we'll make our prayer to the Lord. Verse number one. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his sin remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Let's pray. Father, bless the time, bless the hour. Now there's much to be said here. Help us to concentrate on, on these scriptures, and may we... Listen to what you, the blessed Spirit of God, has to say. Um, we pray, Lord, for clarity of thought and tongue this morning. And we pray that, again, what we cannot say, and that you, Spirit of God, would say in the hearts of those here this morning. Bless the children, whether downstairs in toddler church or next door with the, the other young people. Lord, work in those services as well. And help these young people to fall in love with Jesus and fall less in love with the world. If anybody here in any of these services does not know Christ as Savior, Lord, let this be the day they understand the gospel and are saved and born again by his precious spirit. Bless now this time and this hour we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The beloved disciple John is writing to the church in the city of Ephesus. He is encouraging them on their walk in the Lord. Remember, they have been dealing with false teachers, false theologies. It was the teachings that we said of Gnosticism that was big in the day. And again, Gnosticism is still a doctrine that is around today. It just uses different names, but the basis is still the same. It denies who Jesus Christ is, and it denies what Jesus Christ did. 
And John is writing this book to encourage the believers not to believe the lies that are found in Gnosticism. Now, he, in chapter number two, he is, uh, when we looked at this last week, he talked to them about false teachers in verses 18 through 29 and who these false teachers are, and the Bible calls them antichrists. Not the antichrist, but antichrist, those who are opposed to Christ himself, men who want to exalt themselves, men who want to make a name for themselves, and encourages the believers that you as Christians have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. And there's no reason for you to be deceived because the one who knows all things indwells you. And today we have the perfect, inspired, preserved Word of God along with the blessed Holy Spirit of God. And so there's no reason for us to be deceived into false theology, into false thinking. And especially if we have a good church where we can go and hear the Word of God and be taught in the different classes, we can be, grow and, and be edified in our faith. Now in this chapter, it's a what may seem like a contradictory chapter because he says some things in here about how if you're a Christian, you don't sin. And in the beginning of the book, he talks about it when, when you do sin. And so what's the problem? Is do, do we sin or do we not sin? Well, we'll try to make this all very plain and clear in the next six hours. All right? <laughs> Just making sure you're all awake. All right, now. We see here in verse number one, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Here we see the idea of God's love. And it's important that we understand that God is a God of love. The Bible clearly states that God is love. The person of God and everything about God is love. We think we can love, but our love is not perfected because our love is fickle and our love can fade. One minute we love somebody and the next minute we don't love somebody. And yet God says His love is perfect and, 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 and His love He always loves. And God does love His creation. God does love us. And it says, what manner of love. This is an interesting phrase because it's the first time and only time you find this in Scripture where it, it kind of expounds on just how great God's love is. What manner, what, what type of love, uh, how is this love shown to us? What manner of love is it? You know, we, a, a person may love their wife, they may love their, their, their husband. And well, how do we demonstrate that? How do we show that love to them. Those by the actions and the things that we do and how we treat them. Well, how does God demonstrate his love to us? Well, in this, he tells us the manner of love is bestowed upon us. And remember this, good morning, sir. The love of God has been bestowed upon us. God has demonstrated this love. God has shown this love towards us that we should be called the sons of God. And that phrase, he hath bestowed, again, it's, a, it's, it's, it's the perfect tense in the Greek, and it means it's continuous gift. Now, we all have been given gifts in our lives, and sometimes the gifts may, uh, they're temporary gifts. You may buy some, I bought my wife some candy while we were at that candy store, thanks to Brother Ronald, amen? And uh, I, I bought her some candy, which I got a lecture. You know, I'm trying to lose weight. You know, the whole thing. You can't win for losing sometimes. Well, I'll take them back. Amen. I'll eat them. <laughs> Just fork them back over here. <laughs> That's kind of my mad thinking there. Maybe she won't want this, and I can take it back. And, but I, 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 I gave her some chocolate and, and, and a, and a caramel-covered apple with peanuts on it because I know she likes that. 
and said, here, this is a demonstration. Now, that's a temp, that's a, it, it doesn't last forever. If she decided to keep it and say, this, it, it would mold and rot and fade and, and not last forever. We can buy other gifts that may last for great lengths of time. I remember when, as a boy, I got a bicycle. That was a great gift. I loved that bike. I got a Ross two-wheel bike with the banana seat and the, and the low sissy bar, amen? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Others are like, amen, brother. That was, that was, and I, and I ran that thing ragged. I would fly down Davis, Bergen Avenue here and get to the bottom and hit the brakes and we'd have contests to see who could leave the longest skid mark, amen? <laughs> and wearing them tires bald. I loved that bike. And then when I came home one day as a teenager, my bike was gone. I'm like, what happened to my bike? I don't ride it anymore. It's way too big for it, but like, what happened to my bike? I gave it to your cousin, Mike. What do you mean you gave it to my cousin? Them ingrates don't deserve my bike, but my gift was given away. It was re-gifted. And so I would still have that bike if it wasn't for my cousins. Some gifts are temporary. Some gifts last longer, and some gifts may last for, for a long time or all our days. But God's love, God's gift is an eternal gift. And he says he hath bestowed it upon us. And again, that phrase bestowed upon us means that it's a continual, permanent possession. And what it is emphasizing here is the security of the believer. Now again, in, in, in theology, when you study theology, there's different methods when it comes to salvation. Is, there, is, is salvation an eternal thing where you keep it forever or can we lose it? Can, we, can it be taken from us? And some people say, well, no, God's not going to take it, but we give it away. Is that possible? No. Because salvation is something, it's, it's a work of God. It's what God does. It's not what I do. Because I, when anything I touch will always have a flaw and imperfection in it. But God is perfect. And when he does, his work is perfect, his salvation is perfect, and he has bestowed upon me a permanent gift, and that is of salvation. And when people tell you that you can lose your salvation, they have a very narrow thinking, and they also have a very little understanding of, the, of language and how it's used and verbs and, and, and what God is saying, and they also don't understand the, the, uh, the whole concept of salvation, what God is doing. God saved me, and God is keeping me in spite of me. And we'll see why in, in a little bit if we can get through the scriptures here this morning. So it's a permanent gift. Look, if you will, at the book of Romans. Keep your finger here in, in, uh, in, in John, but look, if you will, at the book of Romans, chapter number 8. Again, uh, Romans chapter number 8 has been called the steeple of the Bible. It's the pinnacle. It's the high point of the book of Romans. It's a, it's a marvelous chapter. The first three chapters, we find ourselves all guilty in the sight of God. Everybody, Jew and Gentile, guilty, condemned. And then we discover the grace of God that comes in and saves sinners. And, and we learn about that, and we learn also about ourselves and our flesh and how rotten it is. And in chapter number 8, he talks about the spirit-filled life and, and all the things we have in Christ. It's, it's marvelous. And we'll never hit bottom studying chapter number 8 of Romans. But he says in verse number 37... 837, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, what? Through him that loved us. Listen, I'm a conqueror, not because I'm a conqueror, 
but because of Christ. Christ has conquered these things for me. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. My friend, what are you missing in those verses? We are more than conquerors, and God is able to do great things. God has secured us, and we are secure in this love that God has. If we go back to 1 John, we see again, He hath bestowed this love upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. This is one of the privileges for a person who has been saved. Notice the word there, he says called. In this case, it means to, to name, not to summon somebody or enable for service, but God has called us and has named us sons of God. You have been given that privilege, that title to be the sons of God if you've been saved by the grace of God. That's your title, that's who you are. We have also here, we are the, the children of God. Now, in, in this phrase, he says that we should be called the sons of, of God. We are God's offspring, not by our earthly birth, but by our spiritual birth. And that, my friend, that spiritual birth that John talks about, that Jesus talked about in John's gospel, where he said you must be born again, gives us this privilege to be called the sons of God. We all have a last name. That last name usually identifies us by our parents. It tells us who our father was. Somebody may look at you and see your last name. Are you related to so-and-so? And you say, yes, that was, that's my father. That's so-and-so. Uh, in, in Sweden, years ago, they don't do this anymore, but in Sweden years ago, that uh, if, you, uh, if your name was John, for instance, my name is Matt. So my three boys, Matthew... Ethan and Evan. They would be Matthew, Ethan, and Evan Matthewson because they're Matthew's son. Johan, Johansson, that's Johan's son. For the girls, it was always the word daughter, daughter. And so you would be Johan daughter. And so it always, with every, it always changed. And so very confusing, very difficult, but anytime you see somebody with the name, my great-grandmother's name was uh, Johansson, and uh, it didn't, the daughter didn't come out for different reasons. I don't have time for the explanation. And my great-grandfather, his name was Carlson because he was Carl's son. Identified. My friend, when you get saved by the grace of God, you are God's son. That's your name now. You are the son of God. You have that privilege, that, that esteemed title has been bestowed upon you. And what manner of love has been bestowed upon us that you now bear the title and the name of being a child of God. Amen. And that's your privilege to, to say, I am a child of God, that God is my heavenly Father. And, and mean it and have it to be true that God is my Father. And we have the privilege to walk into the very throne of grace through the blood of Christ and to, and to make our petition known and talk to our Heavenly Father. 
Growing up, I didn't have a father that you could really talk to. My dad was just not that way. He loved us. He cared for us. He provided for us. But my father was not a talkative kind of guy. My mother I could talk to. My friend Bob down the street here, just the ex exact opposite. When I met Bob, and Bob and I became friends in fifth grade, I, I was shocked to see that he could actually sit down and have a conversation with his father. I'm like, I, I, I never, you know, I, I talk to my dad, but it's like, you know, very brief, and, it's, and, and sometimes it can get a little testy in there, the way he is with his personality. But I would watch Bob interact with his father, and, 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 and I'd, we'd have questions as, as kids, and he said, you know, I'll ask my dad about that. And I'm like, you're going to what? You, you actually can ask your dad that? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my dad tonight when he comes home from work. And the next day he said, yeah, I talked to my dad last night. I'm like, what is this relationship you speak of where you can talk with your father? How strange is this? Well, I've tried to be the dad that my children can talk to and communicate with and, 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 and have that relationship that if they need something, if we can... Uh, we can they have a question. Don't be afraid to come to me. We can talk about this. I'm not going to bite your head off. I'm not going to call you names. I'm not going to belittle you. We can communicate. Well, my friend, when we have God as our Father, we got a gracious Father, a loving Father, a merciful Father, that we can walk into the very throne room and make our petition known and communicate with our Father, who does not beat us up, belittle us, or call us names but is there to hear us. And so what manner of love has God given to us? That this is the love of God demonstrated. And why is he saying all this? Because in the teachings of Gnosticism, God was some distant God who could not be really felt, touched, or seen. He was just a distant God who made and, and created, but had very little to do with his creation. And John is letting these people know that you, if you believe Gnosticism, you're believing a lie. God is somebody that you can communicate with and God loves you and God desires a relationship with you and God wants to know you and, and talk with you. And he lets us know that the world, in verse number one, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. This meaning that the world does not recognize the believer's high position is what it's saying. Now we look at people in life and we say, oh, so-and-so is in charge of this department somewhere, and so-and-so has this position. And, and we look at people who they are in life. You know, they, they run the whole entire school. This person, they're the mayor of the town. This guy's the governor. And, by, and we recognize people by their positions. We can walk up to a stranger on the street and say, I want you to know I am a son of God. And they'll look at you like, yeah. That and seven bucks will get you something at Starbucks. So what? So what? What they fail to realize is the position that you have. They don't understand. Why don't they understand this position that you have? Why are they so completely ignorant? And remember, the world honors vain things. You know, you let some superstar walk in, some celebrity, some sports player, and everybody falls all over themselves. Today in church, we had so-and-so who plays for so-and-so in our church. Everybody's like, yay, as the guy sits there in church. Or maybe some high-ranking public official may walk in. Maybe the governor would walk into our church. We had governor so-and-so in our church today. Wasn't that wonderful? 
it's not as wonderful as you. Because you are the child of God. Which outranks any other position on planet earth. And yet we fail to realize the title that we have and, the, and, the, and who we are. Everybody will value all these citizens on planet earth and, and, and have no love for us or, or have disdain for us. And it says the world knoweth us not. It, doesn't, it means it's not esteeming the believers properly. It means they, it treats them with great injustice. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was being beaten, he said, you know, is it right that you beat a Roman citizen and they stopped beating him? That you're a Roman citizen? Yes. How'd you get this citizenship? Was it born or, or did you purchase it? I was born a Roman citizen. Oh, because those people who were beating him had... Brother Keston? Those people who were beating him had... Uh, failed to understand who he was and his Roman citizenship and what was involved in that. Now, Paul had that right as a Roman citizen and they let off beating him and they would not abuse him anymore until it went through the proper legal channels that Paul was entitled to as a Roman citizen. Oftentimes, we may look at people and, and fail to understand who they are. Well, the world doesn't understand who we are. When we say, I'm a citizen of heaven... I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. And why don't they recognize who we are? Because the world does not recognize who he is. We see that in verse number one, because it knew him not. And that's referring to Jesus Christ. The world did not know who Jesus Christ was. Now it says if they knew who he was, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Pontius Pilate questioned who he was and, and, and couldn't figure out who he was. The world did not know the Son of Glory. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And how, they, how did the world treat the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, they mocked him, ridiculed, and eventually crucified him. And so as our Savior taught us earlier in John's Gospel, if they treat me this way, what makes you think they're going to love you? If you love me and follow me and walk with me and do what I tell you to do, they're not going to like you, and the world does not really like true Bible-believing, born-again Christians because we are foreign to them in our way of thinking. We don't do anything bad. We are the best thing to ever happen to a community because we are salt and we are light. He says in verse number 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Here we have this developing countenance. Years ago, in our church newsletter, we posted pictures of people from in the church of when they were younger. And it was, guess who this person is? And it was always uh, try to figure out who's who. And sometimes people, we all change through the course of life. We all get better looking, amen? There we go. And so we had these pictures of everybody here when they were kids and and, uh, and, of course, Tony says, everybody's going to guess me. I'm the only Korean guy in church. Well, I didn't guess you, Tony. I had no idea it was you. <laughs> but we had these pictures. Sometimes you can figure some people out. Some people say, I couldn't guess who that person was because it was just when we were younger. Well, my friend, what happens to us as we grow older, we change. I was once had blonde hair and blonde curly hair. Well, now it's 
it's not blonde anymore and not curly anymore and it's it's just, I don't know what's going on up there but it's just it is what it is and if you saw my pictures as a kid and me now you said that's not the same guy well something happened along the way something bad but something happened <laughs> understand here the believer develops in his spirituality he says beloved now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear which shall be what's that mean it means the believer develops he grows in progress in his spiritual experience we are developing we are maturing in our faith and we all want to grow and mature spiritually speaking and the only way we grow and develop spiritually is through the church and through the Word of God and, and, and feasting on the Word of God we learn more about who God is you want to grow physically you must eat proper and and, and drink properly and, and take care of ourselves to grow spiritually we must feast upon the Word of God and make much of the Word of God what I am now spiritually speaking is not what I am going to be when it's all said and done I am growing in my faith and can I encourage you if you're mature in your faith and somebody is behind you spiritually speaking give them chance to grow in their faith with the same grace that God gave you. Everybody here is at a different spiritual level. Pastor, you got to do something about so-and-so in church? They're, they're growing in grace. They're growing in grace, and uh, they're not perfect, and, and, uh, and by your judgmental, angry spirit, I think you have a little ways to go as well. Amen? <laughs> Be a little gracious to those who are coming up behind you. You know, we've all had to deal with two-year-olds. Amen? It's <laughs> Amen, Nathaniel. <laughs> and then, they, they, then, then kids become fun. And then they turn 14. And, and then it's, what in the world is wrong with you? Where, where is the, the child I once had as, they, as their mind is shifting and they're going through all the whole changing from adolescence to adulthood? There's things take place. So if your kid went to 15, 16, just... just Bear with it, because you were once there yourself. I was never like that. Hello. We were all, okay? You all were there. Maybe your parents maybe just didn't let you go that far, because back in the day, the moms and dads had belts, and, uh, and things happened, amen? And so it kind of kept you in check a little bit. Brother Dave was telling me about his mom. She didn't have a belt. She just, oh, you think you're tough. Come on. And she... And she <laughs> She'd go full Puerto Rican on them and take them out. Amen. <laughs> Understand something. We, so when you deal with that 15-year-old, why? Because they're growing, they're developing, they're maturing, and eventually they'll, they'll, they'll get there. We all have to grow spiritually. And, he, and he's encouraging us here in our spiritual growth. And he says it does not appear. Again, we're still waiting for this this knowledge or a manifestation of our exact appearance now again there's a lot of older saints than me and I'm I'll be 60 not too far off and so I, I got a lot of a lot of older folks than me who've experienced a lot more life than me and it's up to me to listen to their wisdom and to see what knowledge they have to learn from them just because I'm a pastor does not mean I got it all figured out. I can learn from people. Everybody, everybody's my teacher. 
Children can be my teacher because they know something I don't know. But it seems by the time we get to the place where we are really, our Christianity is where it really needs to be, it's time for the Lord says, it's time to come home. It's like, man, Lord, I, I wish I was like this when I was 21. We could have we done so much <laughs> when I was 21 if we just got to this point back sooner in life. But God knows all about those things, does he not? He says, we, shall, when he, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Again, this affirmation does not contradict what has just been said about not knowing what our appearance will be. It gives general description of our countenance. We shall be, we'll, we'll be like our Savior. One thing I do know is I will be like my Savior someday. I am not like him now. I'm still growing and developing. And, but when he comes and he appears and I am glorified in that state, I will be perfect like my Savior is perfect. That is what awaits me. When we were kids, we all wondered what we're going to be when we grew up, grow up. What's our, what's, where are we going to end up? What are we going to do in life? I was 16 years old and it, it clicked in high school one day. Like, oh no, I got two years and then reality is going to kick in. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. The first 18 are all fun and games. And now I got to, what am I going to do with my life? And so I started thinking about this thing of where am I going to go? What am I going to do when I'm 18? I had to stop playing games and get serious with this business. Well, my Christianity, I have to be serious about my Christianity. I'm a son of God. Am I, am I growing like I want to? Now, in the next few verses, he, he, he encourages us here in verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The, the anticipation of the return of Christ prompts us to improve our conduct. I don't know if I'll get in trouble for this story, but when I, my wife is here, she's just bowed her head. And she, it's, not a, it's a good story, sweetheart. Trust me. But I told Renee, I, I was, we were driving down south. We were going to get married. I drove down there. I told her I'd be there probably around 3, 4 o'clock. And, and, and since we're in New Jersey and she was in Georgia, we're, it's downhill. And so we went faster because it's going downhill. So it normally takes 16 hours. It only took 12 hours. Amen. Because so, it's centrifugal force as the isosceles of the earth rotation and the centrifugal pull of the magnetic force, which is... If you understand that, explain it to me. But I got there fast. And I got there early. She was not ready for me. She was still fixing herself up. And she stuck. She said, you're not supposed to be here yet. So I got, you want me to leave? I'll leave. But we stayed and she, my friend, someday Jesus is coming. And we better be ready. We better be ready. We better, he says, if you have this hope, you purify yourself. You, you're, you're cleaning yourself up. You want to do more for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to make ourselves holier. We want to not sin as much in our life. Anybody who's ever worked a job, you work harder when the boss is around. You look busier when the boss is around. Sometimes you may work, and if you have no character, if the boss is not around, you'll slack off. And Christians, by the way, ought to have character and work whether the boss is there or not there. You're, you have character. You work. 
But we all know people who don't do any work, they hide because the boss is not there. They're, they're disappearing. Well, my friend, Jesus Christ is returning. We do not know when that will be, but, some, but he will return. And we want to be not slacking off. We want to make sure that we are, as he says here, purifying ourselves. Getting things off of me that don't belong on me. And again, that word he refers to Jesus Christ. We want to be as righteous as him as our, as our ultimate goal. I want to be a righteous person. I don't want to be just a Christian who plays games. I want to be a righteous individual. And when we think about eternity and what's going to happen in eternity, I want to enter into eternity and meet my Savior knowing I did everything I could here to be the best I possibly could be. Now he is going to encourage us now with some thoughts about our sin and our sin nature. Because we all have a sin nature. We all have this ability in us to commit sin. We, we, we can even just think about it. Something happens and we all make something bad will come into our minds. He says in verse number 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. No matter how one decorates and excuses sin, it's still disobedience. Why did you do that? Well, here's why. And we give this excuse why we did something. At the end of the day, it's still wrong. No matter what excuse we give, it was still wrong. Why did you, you know, why did the man rob the bank? Well, he was poor and we kind of, he needed the money. No, you don't rob a bank because you're poor. God has a program for that. It's called get a job. <laughs> That's how you, you fix that problem. So we as Christians don't excuse our sins. Well, I got a reason for why I'm doing it. You know, I'm just an old sinner. No, I, I, no. Disobedience of the law of God. And again, men, men's laws often make sin legitimate. It's legal to gamble. It's legal to drink. It's legal to smoke dope. It's legal to do this. It's legal. But to us, it's not. Because God says it's not right. So therefore, I don't want to do it because God is my ultimate judge and authority. We don't want to be disobedient. And he says, Whosoever trans committeth a sin transgresses also the law. And he's not talking about man's laws. He's talking about God's laws here. Sin is breaking the law. And we don't want to break God's laws. And I want to show you this thought in verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Listen, in a few Another month, we'll celebrate Christmas. And whether you believe he was born in December or spring or September, it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter was he was manifested for one purpose and one purpose only, my friend. He was born in Bethlehem's manger of a virgin for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to remove your sin. Not to give us better ideas and hopes and aspirations and, and give us new thinking. And, and No, he was there for the, to remove sin. That is the purpose of Jesus Christ, which goes back to what he's, why he's writing this book, because in false teachings, in false teachings, Jesus does not remove all sin. He just maybe gives a partial payment for sin. Jesus Christ did not pay for just part of your sin. Christ paid your entire sin debt. We were at a restaurant recently, and and uh, and and. and Ethan's boss was in there, 
And uh, we finished our meal, and uh, the, the, the waiter came over and said, uh, uh, so-and-so is paying for your guy's desserts. And so dessert was free that day. I'm like, woohoo, free dessert. I was really hoping the whole entire bill would be paid, but because uh, the guy can pay that bill and not bl- But we got free dessert. If I'd known that, I would have got two of them. But we got a free dessert that night. Just a partial payment of the bill. And I'm thankful because the way we were going that night, it was a, a bunch of us and we probably ate a bunch of desserts that night. Now, Jesus did not come and pay partial sin debt. He didn't pay just a little bit of the bill. My friend, all of your sin was nailed to Calvary's cross. Christ paid the entire sin debt so that you no longer have that debt to God. He was manifested for that. Christ came to take care of man's sin problem. And that is man's greatest problem. Not cancer, not any other diseases, not world hunger, not world wars, but my friend, your sin problem because all of those things make only kill you physically. Sin will kill you spiritually. And what we want is the spiritual part to be saved, which lives forever. It says that in Christ and His incarnation, this is a Christmas message, in Him is no sin. When we think of Christ, we think of the Christmas story, we think of what was told by the angel to Joseph, that He will do what? He shall save His people from what? Their sins. Their sins. The purpose of Christ, as explained before His birth, is He's coming to take care of their sins. My friend, I'm glad that Jesus Christ took taken care of my sins because I cannot take care of them myself. He says in this verse, in him is no sin. Christ had no sin. He had to have no sin. He is the virgin-born Son of God. The Bible says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 21. In him is no sin. When we have Christ, we have somebody who does not know the taste of sin. Listen, you need to understand something. We all know this taste of sin. We all know what it's like to fail. We all know what it's like to give in to temptation. We all know what it's like to fall short and, and do things that we, we regretted doing. We're tempted, we're tempted, and we say, you know what, I'm going to do it. And afterwards, we, what was wrong with me? What was I thinking? And how many people have stepped into sin only wishing that they can go back in time and not have committed it to begin with? But we all know that sense of failure. We all know that, that shame that comes with it. Why do you think men, when they walk out of courthouses, put their jackets over their head and, and hide their faces? They're, they're ashamed. And we all should be ashamed of sin. And Christ came to remove that shame. He doesn't know the taste of sin. He never fell like we fell. He never gave in to those temptations, thus making him the only one who can pay the sin debt for us. Years ago, I reached into my wallet. I was in a store. My co-worker was with me. We bought some things. I reached into my wallet, and I purchased a sandwich, ready to bite. My wallet was completely empty. I know I had money in here. I know it was in here. I had money in my wallet last night, and now it's not here. It's gone. 
I looked at my coworker. I said, listen, can you spot me $5? My wallet, I don't have my money. He gave me the money. I paid my bill, and we walked out. And what had happened is my brother had went into my wallet sometime during the morning before I was sleeping and took my money from me because he needed money, so he figured he could have my money. <laughs> so that's what brothers do, amen? Oh, the joy of brothers. And uh, I said, you, you go into my wallet. Yeah, I need, a, I need money for work. Well, I need money for work, too. You know, I, I don't blow mine on the weekend like you do, amen? I, I, I kind of space it out. But I didn't have any money to pay. And back then, you didn't, this was the 80s, so I didn't have a credit card. Didn't have those back then. At least I didn't. So how am I going to pay this? My friend, when I come to God, I approach God. I open my wallet. It's empty. I can't pay my sin debt. Christ paid that sin debt for me. And he encourages us here in verse number 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever sinneth hath not seen him nor know him. Now, there's a lot here, and we don't have time to unpack it all today. But I want you to understand something, that when you got saved, you were given a new nature. Now, I'd, I'd like to, hey, Joe, you want to be an example? You want to help me out with an illustration? You be the good guy. I'll be the bad guy. Come on up here. I, I, I picked on Joe because he's, I was going to use Gerard, but I don't want to have to. Okay. Amen. Come on up here, Joe. No, you got you got money? No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, here I don't have a I don't have a uh, my brother's, but I do have a, other things to take my money, like kids okay. and everything else. Now, now, my friend, listen. Can I use an illustration? I'm gonna I'm, now. This is me. This is the old me. This is the Matt Swakowski before Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner. There's nothing good in me. Even though I may look sharp and I'm wearing my army tie here, I am, there's nothing, I'm, I'm just a sinner. And then one day, Matt Swakowski met Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ saved him. And, 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 and God gave me a new nature. This is the new nature. This is the, the born-again part. It's good-looking, amen? Sharp-looking. New glasses are coming next week. I Don't really should have got it. a better illustration <laughs> up here, but never mind. I should have got Brother Ronald. <laughs> this is the new me. But you see now, this is the this is this is this is the Holy Spirit of God. This is the, the new person, the new creation. This new man never sins. He never does wrong. He always does right. But what happens? You see, this guy is always here though. My, the flesh is still here. Right. And even though this guy doesn't sin, this guy, my flesh, goes, now, we want to check that out over there. And this guy says, no, we don't check that out. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to check that out. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take this over here and grab the, the check. <laughs> and, and, and the new man say, no, we're no. not. No. And there's this battle going on between the new man and this flesh. And the older I get, there seems to be more of it, but it's, that's thanks to Briars and Dairy Queen. But there you go. There's, here we are. And this new man, this new man is what he's referring to. He does not sin. The new nature does not sin. He doesn't do any wrong. But as when you read Romans chapter number six and seven, Paul talks about this battle he faces. 
The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I do, I don't want to do. I got this battle going on in me. But this new man, he doesn't sin. And who does God see, by the way? God sees the new man. Because this man has been born again. He's the child of God. What's God going to do with this flesh? Well, God crucified it on Calvary's cross. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Amen. So it's the new man. I'm, I'm the, this guy here is to not feed this guy. I, he, his job is to starve this man. The more, he, the more we feed this flesh the things of this world, and, and, and the lusts of this world, the more powerful he becomes. And he begin to push this guy back. But this guy still never sins. But I'm feeding my flesh. So this new man, he reads the word of God. He goes to church. He tries to abide by the scriptural principles. So that this guy grows weaker and does not have the power to overtake him. And so when John is writing here, he lets us know that in verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And then whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Because this guy doesn't sin. The new man doesn't know sin. So if you go back to the first chapter of this book, He says in verse number 7, 1 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here he's saying, if we say we don't have sin, we, we're liars. Chapter 3, he says we don't sin. Again, John is pointing out the dual nature. This man, I'm sorry, this man has to go to God and say, I, I'm sinned, I've sinned, and, and seek forgiveness. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Again, I haven't lost my salvation because this, I'm still a child of God. We're, we're joined at the hip. And someday when Christ comes, this flesh is going down and this guy's going up. I'm, I'm going to get a new body, a sinless body like my Savior. I'll get that glorified body. So when he says uh, in, in chapter 1, when he talks about confessing our sins, he's letting us know that he's, this nature we still have is still going to be here and it's still going to do wrong. And in chapter 3, he's letting us know that we have this new nature that is the Son of God. And this new nature does not sin. Now, if you think this guy did a wonderful job, give him a hand. Thank you, brother. take this. Thank you. And so as we understand this, he says, in closing, he says in verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither hath known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Can oil and water mix? No. They always are separated. You can shake a bottle up, but they're always separated. And when you let them settle, eventually one, they're separate. Sin and righteousness are incompatible. They cannot coexist. They cannot be blended together to make one. There's sin and there's righteousness. And John is letting us know that 
us as Christians, what does our new nature want to do? It wants to do righteousness. It wants to do right things because that's its nature to do right things. That's what it does. Years ago, an alligator killed some, somebody in Florida and they captured the alligator and killed it. And people said, don't kill the alligator. It's just doing what it does. I guess they got a point. Well, I can understand both sides of that argument. An alligator eats things, humans or anything. That's what it does. It's its nature. Sinners sin. Saints of God, children of God, do righteous things. And he's letting us know here that if you're righteous, you'll do righteous things because it's your nature. So we don't have time for all of it, what we read. But simply understand that as a Christians, we are to understand our position. And in our position, we understand what he's done for us. And we understand that he has given us a place. And in this place, as a son of God, I am to walk in a way that is pleasing to him and brings honor to him. Let's stand together for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for Christ who loved us and died on Calvary's cross. Now, Lord, we come now asking for your help and for your mercy. Thank you for everyone here and the young people next door and downstairs. And Lord, if anybody, again, is not saved, help them to come today and be saved. Help us Christians. That, Lord, we would desire to grow 